Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to this episode of 20 Minute Tims. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jackson Oven. Jackson, how are we doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Ah, good, thanks. Good, mate. What about your time in Germany? How are you enjoying that now? Yeah, unbelievable, mate. Like, as, uh, you know, exciting times I've, I've had in my career, kind of at the moment, obviously, eight games to go, big promotion push, um, like tough games, but we've got full crowd back tomorrow night, first time since... You know, in a couple of years, so just everything's kind of fallen into place nicely for uh, exciting last six weeks or so. Good stuff, man. Like, you must be possibly the only guy to play for both the good guys in Celtic and St. Pauli. I think that's some some achievement. Yeah, someone, uh, yeah, a couple of people have kind of told me that recently, and that's a pretty cool, cool stat to have that I'm the only one to have played for both. So I'm sure I won't be the, won't be the only one, but to be the first, pretty cool. That is cool. So we'll take you right back to the very start that Australia, not that many football teams when you were growing up, but is it true you didn't get a team till you were like 15 years old? No, like I was playing, yeah, like at a decent level, I suppose. Like I was just, I played like June stat normal, like um, Sunday league kind of with my friends and playing at that kind of standard. But um, it wasn't until I was like 15, 16 that I started playing well, we call it like state league, but it would be the equivalent in Scotland. It would be like good junior level, basically. Right. Um, so I started playing for like a good club when I was about, yeah, about 15, 16. And it was my coach there that had the link into, into the Celtic Academy. And that's how I ended up with the trial um, in Scotland. So a bit of, bit of good fortune on that on that side of things too. Nice one. Do you think it's, it's changed a lot since then? There's a lot more teams about in Australia that you mm. could be you could have been playing for at a younger age? Yeah, like there was no, the, the A-League, it only was in its like infancy um, and they didn't have academies at that point. Um, there was only like an under 21s, under 23s kind of reserve team. Um, so yeah, so basically there was no real pathway for young players. The only path is, is really just to get out and go and play somewhere else and try and like build a career in an academy overseas, which is, you know, easier said than done. you got to have one the connections into the resources to be able to do that so you know, I was very fortunate to have both of those things on my side it gave me the opportunity to go and you know and give it a crack overseas why football then compared to all the other sports considering it's not one of the main sports in Australia as my old man and my granddad like my old man's from Aberdeen my granddad's um was from Holland you know European football football men European family like I, I did play AFL a bit like at school and with my pals and that but uh, it was only ever really football I cared about like even from the youngest age my dad when he used to come back to Scotland and see his parents he'd bring me 
soccer AM DVDs or you know <laughs> the, the the Man United bloody you know the annual they still yeah. know the annual books and that you know stuff like that like that's all I ever cared about when I was a kid really so no it was it was it was single single minded. I don't get the annual at Christmas anymore, man. Disappointing. I used to always oh, get the Celtic annual every year. Quality, yeah, they were great. I used to love them, like, especially when you're a kid. Unbelievable. Uh, a lot of that stuff was a lot better when you were younger. It just seems to be, it's not a thing anymore, yeah. is it? Nah. So the, the trial with Celtic, how did that come about then? So, yeah, so um, my coach in Melbourne, Tommy O'Halloran, is the, the cousin of Michael O'Halloran, oh. who, senior, Michael O'Halloran, yeah. senior father of Michael obviously is the player um and yeah just just a bit of good good fortune as I say like he was my coach um he kind of saw something in me as I say he gave me the opportunity to play first team football at 15 16 um and he was the one that kind of organized you know my trial in the sense that I say I try you know it organized in the sense that if you're ever going to be in Scotland visiting your family I can get you in for a few days kind of thing <laughs> so um you know it wasn't wasn't most the most like legitimately set up kind of deal like they didn't fly me out you know or anything like that um but yeah no I went in I was there for six six five six seven days a couple of training sessions a couple of trial games and yeah it was honestly the last thing I was ever expecting I was actually over on holiday visiting family and um obviously we kind of built it around the chat the fact that I was going to be able to go and train there for a few days too but I don't think any of us ever really expected that it would come to anything that's mad. So it was just a sort of rock up when you can and you decided, oh, I'm visiting family, I might as well give it a shot. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Like, they, like, listen, obviously my parents, they knew that I had that opportunity and we kind of built it around. My sister was, she was a bit older. She was living in Holland at the time on an exchange. And I don't know, it made sense. We we're going to go over for Christmas. It was in December, my trial. Um, we we're going to go over and see family at Christmas. And they were like, well, we might as well see if we can tie it in. But my, par- my parents didn't even come. Like my <laughs> mum's, like my mum's uh, sister who's like because I've got family mum's and dad's side in Scotland uh, she was the one who took me like came drove me up to the game at Lennoxtown on the Astro on like a Tuesday night against Partick Thistle or something <laughs> and you know after after the game you know I get pulled into the kind of boardroom at Lennoxtown with you know Chris McCart Tony McIntyre Steve Frail um, you know the couple of the scouts and you know I just thought oh this must just be what they do after a trial they sit you down and tell you how you went um, obviously was a little bit more than that and they were like to me you know we, we want you to stay like you you if you if that's like going to be okay and then we had to go through the horrendous phone call of telling my mum and dad yeah by the way that's me I'm not coming back so what was the time scale between that and then moving over to Scotland for a while uh so I went back so I, I had the trial in December um you know obviously I couldn't just like stay that's you know you had to kind of get your life in order finish up a few things at home so i went back until i think it was early march um march april um in 2010 and that was 2000 december and nine and then about march april 2010 i came made the permanent move ah nice one so you came in was it still tony mowbray was celtic manager at that point literally the week i signed i think uh he got sacked and <laughs> um lenny took over as the caretaker um, it was just after that Ross County semi-final um, in, 20, in the Scottish Cup semi-final. I think I think that was yeah that was like the week I the week I signed. So it was a dramatic um, time to come come into the club. Did you go? I take it you went in at the reserves first and played with them rather than straight into the first team. Oh yeah, under 19s, you know, like 
straight in like there was at this so this was like i was right on that border of when they changed it from there was at that time there was still under 19s then reserves and then the first team and then they kind of changed it where the under 20s became like the reserves and the and the academy like so i was like that two years was when i was in that was when it changed um so i was kind of in the 19s to begin with and then as i became the 20s that became the reserves um so yeah so no it was yeah that's what kind of where i started with um you know guys like Declan Gallagher James Forrest Richie Tao that was like the they were the kind of senior boys in that under 19s when I first came in there's a lot of good players in that sort of squad a lot of them maybe didn't go on to play and have careers at Celtic but they all went on to have decent careers whether it be in the SPL or abouts didn't they yeah like Stephen O'Donnell's obviously doing unbelievable playing for Scotland and um, Captain of Motherwell Dex you know Declan Gallagher's done had, had a good career James Keaton's is you know, had a few good clubs, few promotions, and um, yeah, no, lots of lots of talented talented players, and uh, obviously Jamesy and Cal McGregor of my age are the two that obviously have have gone on to you know live the dream, I guess, of breaking through the academy and becoming mainstays. Could you tell, looking at those two at the time, that they were like standouts, or was everybody sort of on an even keel and they've managed to push on? Yeah, there were two of the, the standouts for sure. Jamesy was a different level, like. Jamesy barely even trained with us in the under-19s at that time. He was kind of more with the first team permanently and just came back to play the odd game um, kind of thing. And then Cal. Cal was probably a little bit later in terms of the development. Like, obviously, everyone knows he went on loan and kind of came back and then got his chance under uh, Ronnie. And, like, it kind of had a little bit more of a different path. He didn't kind of just crack in straight away out of the youth team. Um, but... For on the day-to-day, you could tell his ability was unbelievable. Could play out wide, middle of the pitch, deeper, further forward. Got a goal in him. Like, just super player, super all-round player. Like, great attitude, good pro. Um, you know, just kind of, we just needed that opportunity, I think. And when it came, he, you know, he's been, as you say, I don't know how many games he's played now. be three, four hundred games, something now. Like, unbelievable career. Yeah, he's a class player and captain of the club as well. What a guy. See, when yeah, you- yeah, sorry, yeah. See, when you first came over, did uh, Celtic help you out with getting digs and sorting everything out for you? Because obviously coming from Australia, there's no language barrier, obviously, but it's a, it's yeah. a massive lifestyle change for you. Yeah, they did. Um, I think probably in hindsight, you know, I think even the club itself will have grown into a different place. I think the world, in a lot of ways, has is, is changed in the last kind of 10, 15 years in terms of care, just general care of like, players mental health and the way that they I don't know the attitudes towards these these things homesickness even in young players like I'm sure now younger players will probably have better access to support and things that probably we had at that time I'm sure it was probably even worse before you know even like when I signed I know I'm not that old but there was no FaceTime no you know anything like this couldn't just pick up a phone and you know call you speak to my parents like I do every day almost now um so it's 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 a kind of a different time, but they did have, you know obviously you get put in jigs. I lived with two other players, and um, you know you kind of just have to learn the ropes yourself, I guess, and just kind of um, you know it's difficult as a young player. And I'd never been in any kind of professional setup before, or even full time of any of any sort. So it was all brand new. Um, so you de- the de- there's definitely an element of feeling your way into it, and um, you know I was very lucky that the. A couple of the lads, two boys in particular, in my youth team kind of 
embraced me into like their friendship groups that led labor local lads and those boys have still my mate my you know some of my best mates now so um that's you know that was a massive help who were the two boys joe chalmers and marcus fraser were like and we had like a good we had a real we had a good group and um you know guys like around that time daniel fisher paul george like we were all kind of in that same team and um, we spent a lot of time together in those years in particular but as i say i've stayed good mates with with them kind of but you know beyond them uh teammates are uh, clubs further down the line as well eh? yeah well that's what made marcus and me ended up having probably one of our most successful periods at ross county together you know a few years later what about the homesickness? Did you did you get homesick at any point? Because coming from Australia to Scotland, it is a massive change, even if you had been in holiday the odd time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Like I think, um, in the especially in the early, the very beginning, I don't even think you're kind of emotionally capable of processing what it is you're kind of doing. Like I look at my mom, I speak to my mom about it now, and sixteen year old, she just and you know I just basically upped and left and moved to the other side of the world and. Like she was in absolutely no way ready for me to be to go and do that, and I was just like selfish little bastard. Like I've got this opportunity, like I don't see her, like didn't even care. But you look back now, and bloody hell, the magnitude of what you're kind of doing at that age. It's it's uh, you know, especially for how difficult it would have been for my family and my parents, and and even for me, I've got like a surprise myself at times that you kind of there's an element of mental strength maybe you don't even know you have to kind of graft through those difficult times. It sort of made you grow up a good bit because you're a lefty. You you did get brought in by those boys and help with your yeah. pals, but you don't really have that sort of those parents looking over you, giving you that guidance. Think it made you grow up a bit and have to learn on your feet. Yeah, definitely. Um, in ways, but also it's like you kind of you mature. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's you have kind of an emotional maturity in the sense that you're capable of dealing with things in a better way, but maybe practically <laughs> things aren't aren't as easy because you haven't got that kind of parental figure to just like when you don't know what to do and I remember when I was 18 19 when I moved out of digs and got my first apartment or whatever and didn't have a clue didn't have a clue <laughs> how to do anything all of a sudden it was just like someone dropped me in a place to live on my own and I was like right go on then see how you get like and did not have a any idea of what like how to work anything you know what I mean so there but then you do grow up quicker because you have to just figure it out you're right how easy do you think it is for players to fall off the rails? Because you're getting paid an all right wage and yeah. you're playing football and you, people kind of know you once you sign for Celtic. How easy do you think it is mm. just to get lost in that lifestyle? Yeah, I can. you can well, you still see it happen on the regular. Um, I think one small um, kind of thing we had in our favour at that time was that with no social media. So I don't think you kind of there's not as much like, I think nowadays there's like a lot of hype around like younger players because you see a clips of them, you know, you can post in clips of free scoring goals for the youth team and, you know, blah, blah, you know, I don't know this and that. As you talk about, for us, it was more going out in mm-hmm. Glasgow, being, and being you know, walk, being out on Queen Street and Socky Hall Street and meeting people, you know, seeing people and, you know, as you say, we're earning decent money for a 18, 17, 18 year old. But that was more kind of, you're more, in danger of getting caught in that world whereas now I think younger players are more at risk of like getting caught in the, their own hype or like you know thinking that they're, they've got a career because they've got a blue tick and 10,000 followers you know what I mean I think it's a different kind of uh, danger to, to those younger players now Yeah it's a trap that you've seen it a lot with players recently 
you say you were on a fairly decent wage, but that wasn't always the case. There was a wee strange contract when you first signed at Celtic, wasn't it? Oh, like expenses, hundred pound, hundred pound a week in a <laughs> brown in a brown paper bag. At the end, of the, that was that was the that was all you used to get before you know you went on to like contract contract. But yeah, no, it was a I say decent money, but it was just like when you're having your, when you're living in digs and you're getting all your accommodation, everything paid. It's basically just it was just money in your pocket. So if you go and buy a trackie from JD Sport at the end of the week or something like that. That's that's, that's about it. See when you're there. When you first joined, you, you hadn't been in a professional setup before. What did you make of the coaching and the youth development at Celtic? Yeah, it's like a leap. I probably didn't really appreciate it at the time, like how competitive and how good we were, you know, playing in like that next gen series and playing against like a lot of like well, well, world class academies that have gone on to produce top players. And we weren't just competitive. We used to beat these teams like regularly. And um, you know, again the academy's been you know as you say maybe not producing loads of players that go on and play hundreds of games for the first team but a lot of guys that have had, have you know, strong careers and um you know my, the team I was a part of in particular has produced many like almost everybody's gone on to have like a, a really you know good career and it's just a testament to the the coaching and the level of you know professionalism that we had at that time what do you think it is that separates the ones that do make it at Celtic to the ones that just maybe fall out of it and just can't get to that level. Yeah, it's small, small margins. You, it's it's shocking how much luck comes into it as well, yeah. like timing, luck, like, um, you know, like obviously, you've you've still got to have the ingredients to do it. You look at like a a, T, a, K, a KT and Jamesy and Cal, probably the last three ones to have like really kicked the door down in terms of being like top top players. Um, there is an element of luck, but you, you've got to produce the, and those players are all incredible, like top world-class, you know, they're top players. And, um, but yeah, there is, there isn't, you know, I don't know. I look at like my, my time at the club and, um, you know, as a central midfielder coming through at 18, 19, there was like Scott Brown, Baram Kyle, Joe Ledley, Victor Wanyama, Ki Sung Young. Like these are all, these are all international oh, midfielders. Play, playing at like you know Charlie played in the middle of the pitch as well at times like talking about like super players all went on to play in the basically all went on to play in the Premier League except for Bruni obviously but um, do you know what I mean it's it's not saying that that's worked against me I was nowhere near at the level to be able to play at Celtic at that time anyway but I just mean that barrier for you to get there is you know it's quite hard to, to break into, into a midfield like that you know yeah I suppose you're right like James Forrest, he was getting coached by Lennon in the reserves. Mowbray gets sacked. Lennon gets parachuted into the job and brings Forrest up mm-hmm. with him and he's no real look back mm-hmm. since. See, when you're talking about all those class midfielders there, do you take that as a challenge or do you take that as, I'm probably not going to see my future here because I don't see any game time coming up? Oh, definitely as a challenge. Like, I, I loved it. Like, I loved being able to train, you know, with these players and, learn from them and even just pre you know pre-season games being involved in you know like those moments like it's just all opportunities to like learn and improve and, and being around like as as I said like international grade midfielders um so no definitely as a challenge but like obviously there's an element of being realistic in it as well and you know for me obviously my I saw my path was going to be to go on loan and play 
and then potentially have the chance to come back and prove myself in a pre-season or in that way I didn't see the opportunity coming just by kind of being on you know the day-to-day so but that was you know ultimately that was probably the best decision I made going alone and playing and kind of led to the moves that propelled my career to where it's gone. Just before we come on to the loan moves there's been a lot of chat recently with Ben Doak getting there it looks like he's going to move to Liverpool from Celtic and the the chat comes up again oh there's no pathway for players at Celtic I don't really agree with that do you think if players are good enough they will play do you when you were at the club did you think you know what if I I put in my effort here if I get a bit of luck I could make an appearance or two in the first team yeah well god you only have to look at like my age group of players that that played games. You had Philip Twardzik played games, uh, Carl McGregor, myself, Tony Watt, um, who else? Daniel Fisher got, played a couple of a couple of seasons almost in the team. Joe Chalmers made appearances. Marcus Fraser, like you could, the list goes on. Like we all got sniffs here and there. You know what I mean? Like it was then kind of setting it on. Then Dylan McGeek, buddy, else? like the list goes on. Um, but yeah, there's to be able to really break through and stay there, it's so difficult because you're up against, as I say, like depth and you know, size of squad, and you've really got to be like ready to, you know, there's no time to, I don't know, have five or six average games mm-hmm. to build yourself into the team. You've just you've got to be ready. This is Celtic, you've got to win every week. Like there's no, you know, there's you've you've got to be ready to compete at that level on the week to week. And it is difficult for young players as we see all around the world. You know, you, you know players are going to have dips of form and um, you know, that's just not really something that's accepted at that level. No, it's not. It's, it's always that. I need to run a 10 games, but whoever yeah. has 10 games to give a player, a seat, that's like a quarter of a season sometimes, so it's not going to happen. Exactly. How exactly did they... Right. How did Neil Lennon, Neil Lennon, Alan Thompson and Johan Mialbe, sort of Celtic icons were the coaching staff then, how did they treat you when you came up? Was it individual? Did they speak to you individually? Did they work with you individually? Or was it just your part of the first team training? Let's go. That was it. That was it. It was an expectation. Like, if you got a shout, you just had to be ready and prepared to step in and do a job. Like, it was no, like, as you say, there was no... um, I don't know, arm round you, go on some like you, you know, this is your chance to go and be like, and I was like, no, nah, you're a Celtic player, come in and do the job. And um, like Neil Lennon was fantastic with me in terms of giving me opportunities, like he pre-season and, you know, gave me, gave me my debut and, um, you know, probably put me in as good a position as I could have been in at that time, especially after, um, you know, the kind of pre-season before I did go on loan. was probably... Funnily enough, it's that timing, you know, it's probably the closest I ever I ever got to kind of having a chance to to play. And then it was like the decision had kind of already been made that I would go somewhere else and play. And then when I came back at the end of that season, Neil uh, Lenny moved on. So, you know, it's funny, just again, like little bits of timing, how, how, how it works. That's just that luck again you're talking about, isn't it? It's just one of those ones, if you had to stay, you might have got a chance, but then again, you might not have. Exactly. And to be honest, as I say, I think realistically, I look back and it's easy to sit here and be like, ah, you know, time, you know, but I don't think I was ready. I really don't. I don't think I was prepared to play at a Celtic level at that time. Like, you know, as you say, maybe, maybe it had gone in and maybe that confidence had come in. But as I say, realistically, when I look at my time, especially when I went to Kilmarnock on that loan and how difficult I found that, it probably just showed that I wasn't quite at that standard. 
You're quite an unusual case because usually young players, when they're going out on loan at Celtic from Celtic, they maybe go down to the Championship or League One and then build their way up to maybe a, a Premier League team. But you went straight out on loan to Kilmarnock. You, just, you said it was difficult. Why was it difficult? And was it just being thrown straight into a first-team environment? Yeah, for sure. And such a competitive environment, as you say. Like, it was... Um... I was, you know, as you say, I think a lot of guys go on loan and, you know, rightly so go and play games at at, at the a level where they're going to play every week. And um, you know, for me, fortunately, that came at, you know, at the top level in Scotland. And, you know, I was around guys like Chris Boyd and Alexi Aromenko and Barry Nicholson and Sammy Klingen and, you know, like, um, you know, um, Manuel Pascali, Craig Sampson, like Scottish boys that had, Experienced guys. Good careers, experienced guys. And I'm, you know, him coming in as this 19, 20-year-old kid from Celtic, you know, like never never kicked the ball first team level. And, you know, it's, bloody hell, it's a, there's a baptism of fire in ways. And you say we struggled that season. And, you know, at times, you know, we ended up um, kind of like scraping up, you know, ninth or something like that. But, um, you know, there's really difficult times during those seasons where boys are, you know, facing relegation pay cuts this is these are like career changing moments for guys like this and you know i've got two years left on my deal at Celtic, so it's not like a, <laughs> for me it's like oh you know and then you realize exactly what you're competing for and in yeah i don't know it's it, it's difficult and it's a real eye opener is that was it the wake-up call for you because as you said like you were kind of involved in that relegation scrap you've managed to get out it towards the end and i think did hibs go down that season as well yeah. So uh, yeah. they they were just below you. So you see how precarious a situation it is. Do you think? Oh, it's, it's not going all going to be plain sailing if I'm at Celtic all the time because further down the line this could be where you you end up. Yeah, God for sure. Like I went. I remember when I went to Kelly. I signed for Kelly. I thought, oh, beauty, yeah, bloody loan move. You know, one one of the bigger clubs in Scotland. Um, you know, established. But you know, this blah blah blah. And I remember getting the message like the first morning, like, oh, lads, we're at this. At this training ground today, do you know what I mean? Like uh, many buses, the many buses picking us up at uh, um, Kilwinnan or at uh, <laughs> Science Parks in Glasgow. Like you know, and, yeah, again, just these little things. I'm used to the glamour of Lennox Town every day, and all of a sudden, you don't even know where you're training on a on a Monday morning. You know what I mean? It's um, it was just again, it's these these little eye openers that are massive for, for players when they do go on loan. When you realise it's not all you know, the glamour of, of Celtic. What about a uh, playing time? You got playing time, but you were sort of thrown all over the pitch. Did you really have a position that you preferred then or was it further down the line that you yeah. really cemented as a centre midfielder? Yeah, that was the, probably, the, if anything, more than all of the other stuff. The most difficult part was the fact that I played a different position just about every week. I played centre-half, right-back, centre-mid, left-mid, right-mid. You know, I, I was, I think I, I think I almost would have played every position on the pitch. It was, um, one of those things where I probably you probably didn't have the trust in me as a young player to put me in the spot and the spine of the team, especially when we were like struggling in moments. That's why I ended up in that kind of right back on the side of the midfield kind of positions. But um, I was always a central midfielder, and you know it was just about like I suppose earning that that trust. And you know I had the attributes to be able to play other positions, but physically, but you know that was where I was always going to play my best football. And that's where you came on when you made your debut for Celtic. What was it like that day? Halftime substitute against Hibs? Yeah. Totally, again, totally unexpected. Like, I remember just, I remember warming up with uh, 
it was Lucas Silisco at the time and we were just like <laughs> pinging balls at each other like oh, we did at half time just messing around loving just being out on the pitch at half time I remember just seeing like somebody giving me like Jacko like from the from the tunnel and I ran down like thought someone needed someone someone to grab something from the dressing room or something like that <laughs> I don't know like, was, the last thing I was expecting was to get the shout I left my jersey on the bench because like, you bring your jersey out, I think he so like he said to me, "You're going on." And I was like, "I have to send one of the kit men out to grab my jersey from the from the bench." So I didn't even have it with me. Um, but yeah, no, it was the same again. No real, no arm around the shoulder. No, I had this you know big opportunity. You're ready for this. Nothing like that. It was just like you're you're going on for Victor. Go and you know do your thing. That was it. Like no, no big deal. Just total trust in me to go and perform. You know. What was your mindset like then? Did was it fear or was it no? I'm ready for this. I'm shaking this. myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like you know, you think yeah, obviously buzzing, like so excited, like it's gonna be class. I'm like, gonna get to play in a league game at home, fifty thousand. What a way to make your senior debut, you know. But um, also, as an element of don't want to make a mistake, don't want to, you know. Um, and you know, just that not not even so much about making a mistake. You just like so badly wanted to to do well and impress, and it to be you know a, a good moment for you. How difficult is it being a young guy coming on? I think young players like yourself that have come through the youth maybe get a wee bit more leeway than others. But that sort of groan if you misplace a pass or put it out, how do you deal with that mentally? Like after that, because I think I always find with some youth players. You, you can sort of tell like whether they've got it upstairs to make it that mental strength because that that's probably mm-hmm. half the battle for me. How how do you deal with that if you make a mistake to go? Now nah, I'll just keep playing my game. Yeah, like I'm always my own harshest critic. So like groans and everything are expected when you make mistakes. But I'm the I'm always probably the hardest on myself when I make those mistakes. So it's not really something um that affects me too much. Like you know you have a little crack at yourself and this and that. But as you say, with certain players, that ability to to just switch back into one one I'll say in particular I remember from being a young player when he first came up was Liam Henderson um, like he was three years younger than me I think it was and he when he kind of made came up around the same time or maybe the year after and this this like ability to like try a pass or you know make a mistake and try and like create something or do something and then to go and get the ball and do it again like I just it's a, it is what you say quite rare and you can tell that the the young players that kind of have that and he was one that I don't I don't know really sticks in my mind so I remember just thinking you know he just he would do something it wouldn't work and he would just go right back and demand the ball and go and try it again you know and yeah, so he, it's a really good quality he burst through towards the end of one of the title winning season I think he scored up mm-hmm. at Partick Thistle then he's I always remember him for that assist against Inter Milan for John Godetti mm-hmm. it was a peachy mm-hmm. ball through yeah your debut didn't quite go to plan, ended up 2-2. No. What about after mm. the game? Was it just a good debut or is it nothing to do with that? Just it's all about what happened in the game for the team? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Results. That was Len- that was Neil Lennon's whole thing. It was just results. Didn't matter. Like, And I got an absolute roasting after the game. I don't know if you've heard the famous, uh, I think Charlie Mulgrew told the story, an open goal about the James Forrest getting hit with the prawn sandwich. But that was that was that was after my debut. Oh, what um, happened was it three sandwiches launched? Yeah, yeah, and then James James ended up with a sandwich halfway down his <laughs> down his thing, but just had to sit there with it on him until he'd finished speaking because he didn't want to like <laughs> didn't want to wipe it away. But um, yeah, it was one again one of them things. It was just a long ball over the top. 
and Fraser came, comes charging out and Mikel Lustig's looking at the ball and the two of them <laughs> run into each other and, and he gets in, I don't know who it was, someone gets a tap in and we drew 2-2 two, two, and that's, you know, that's the that's the game. You know, we missed a bag full of chances, hit the bar. Funny, it's a funny old game, isn't it? You come away with a win that day. It's it's uh, probably a different feeling, a different memory. What, what did Lennon say to you specifically in the changing room? <laughs> uh, I think it was something along the lines of you. I've been. Someone told me you were you were ready, a good player. Fucking nowhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, something along those lines. So, I, but. I think I wasn't the only one. I think everybody in the room, except except one or two, got a roast in that day. Is it the senior players that he doesn't he doesn't let it go? Is it everybody? Oh God, no! Everybody, like, yeah, he didn't hold back on anybody. I think it was actually James. He was the only one that that uh, got away with it that day because I think he played quite well. But except um, he's got a sandwich running down his face. Except yeah, except <laughs> he's got prom mayo <laughs> running down his cheek. Other than that, he was he was fine. What What about when you come back into training as does somebody come up to you then and say, are oh, you done well? Or that was a good debut? Or is it just you're part of the first team now? Like, this is how it goes? Yeah, it was kind of like that. Um, you know, it was early in the season and it was kind of before the European campaign had kind of started. And um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really a big deal made of it, to be honest. It was like, there'd been a couple of other debuts around that time as well. Boys had come on and played early in the season because we were still missing a few bodies. So um yeah, no, it wasn't really a big deal made of it. It was just kind of like crack on. I'd been in this, I think I was in the first three or four squads of the season on the bench in the stand, you know, like traveling with the team. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't really much of a big deal. Was that then after that you, you, you had the taste of first team football? Is that why? You, did you push for the loan moves or did Celtic line them up for you? It was a bit of both. Like, I'd kind of obviously I wanted to play and, um, you know, I'd kind of recognise that the opportunities were going to be limited for me. And um, obviously it was an exciting prospect of a loan when with that kind of loan move, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, um, I don't know, without, you know, not in a disrespectful way, but a championship or league one side, you know, to go and play minutes. It was a, you know, a, a level that was going to be really kind of helped me grow. So I think it was, it was a bit of both. What about towards the end of that Kilmarnock season when you're coming up to you managed to sort of cement your place towards the end playing in midfield more often than not? Mm-hmm. Did you come back that summer thinking, I want to press on and go back into the Celtic first team and try and get there? Or did you still think maybe another loan move would be the best option? I definitely thought that there would uh like that I would I'd grown enough into a place where I'd be like there'd maybe be more opportunities for me. Um, but as I say, Leonard, Neil Lennon had moved on. Um, one dealer had come in, and um, to be honest, it, I, like not in a bad way, but he was he was honest with me pretty early doors. When you know we came in, we had a couple of few couple of training sessions, preseason games. Um, he kind of made it clear to me that I wasn't kind of part of his plans. And then for me, it was about just finding another another move that was gonna. I don't know, give me a chance that you, know, you always got one eye on Celtic when you're when you're a player there, whether you go on loan or not. Like you always think all it will take is that a season away or you know, have that time to, to be able to come back and, and get an opportunity. So, you know, I didn't I hadn't like given up on that thought, but it was definitely he'd made it clear to me that my that you know the best path for me was going to be to go on loan and play again. Yeah, it's just that bit of luck again. If Lennon had to stay on another season, you might have got that chance. But see, Neil Lennon, what did you make of him as a coach? Because 
after last season was disastrous for Celtic, but before that he was a successful oh. Celtic manager. And you always hear these stories about him, but was he a good coach or a good manager for you? Well, listen, he's an elite motivator. Um, you know, like in terms of whatever tactic that was to get the best out of players, whether it was fear or uh, passion or whatever it was, he was he was a motivator and results and, you know, results-driven manager. And he, that was his, you know, I, I worked with Nigel Clough at Burton and, you know, they're all cut from that. Martin O'Neill, Brian Clough, I could see similarities through them, you know, all the trickling down from that kind of uh, style of, of management, which was um, getting the best out of individual players and, um, yeah, and, motiv- and like elite level motivation. Obviously, the European games required a bit more of a, um, you know, there was more tactical approach to those things. But, you know, in terms of... Uh, of his qualities as a, as a manager, that was probably what I would say was his defining one from from my experience. Did you enjoy training under Lennon? Yeah, listen, it was intense. It was, <laughs> you know, it was like that was that was what it was like in, in a lot of ways. But it was, uh, um, it's difficult. To, it's difficult to think about at that age because, again, you're so focused on yourself yeah. um, rather than the full thing because all you're thinking about is. I want to impress. I want to do this. I want to do that. Sometimes you're not even really paying so much attention to what's actually going on big picture. So um, yeah, sometimes it's probably difficult to actually say how much was I taking in, in terms of tactics and coaching and things like that, because you are so focused on yourself and your own performances in those sessions. Cause that's like a world cup final. Every time you go out to train with the first thing. So when Ronnie Dyler comes in, how, how big a difference was the management styles between him and Lennon then? Yeah. Like he, Obviously, I didn't work with Ronnie Dillon much because uh, kind of I was. He made it clear to me early doors that I was going to be kind of going on loan again. Um, but there was a distinct kind of difference in terms of his relationship with the players. Um, Ronnie was obviously a lot more uh, had a lot more of a kind of personal relationship with the players. Rather, you know, as a and I've seen that kind of more as I've worked with European style coaches rather than British. The kind of old British managers and you know the Europeans are more coaches. That make I don't know if that's as a yeah. kind of there is like there is like a compar- like a kind of comparison there, and um, that was probably something I noticed just in the brief time that I did kind of work with him. So was that you then? Just it's not going to happen here. Ronnie Dyer was yeah. sort of famed for working with young players. Did you feel a bit aggrieved that you didn't get a chance, or did you just think it's just not going to happen? Yeah, of, of course I did, and especially when it was so early. Like I didn't even get the kind of pre-season opportunity to kind of go and kind of show something. It was basically from early doors. It was like it's it's not going to be, um, yeah, it's not going to be for you here. But listen, again, you look back on it, and you think at least he was honest. And sometimes players get caught in that limbo of thinking that they're going to be involved, and you end up in no man's land as a reserve, you know, squad player, and you don't you don't get any football at all. So at least I got I knew where my position was and. It allowed me to go and you know have another full season of playing every week. Yeah, the move to Ross County. The, did you ever fear there was no move coming because that that was quite late in the window, wasn't it? And yeah. you might have been stuck in that limbo under a manager that doesn't want you. You're not going to get first team football. It could be another season where you don't get first team football. Then you're looking at your age. You've not got a lot in there. So was it that the sort of reasoning behind the decision to go to Ross County? Because Australia to Ross yeah. County is quite a move. Yeah, God, Ding- Melbourne to Dingwall is not, uh, <laughs> not not where everybody kind of sees your career path going. And listen, I was reluctant in the beginning. One, because of the start they'd had to the season. I think they had no wins from seven or five or six games when I first signed. 
Um, but it was SPL. It was, you know, um, they, they didn't even have a coach. They didn't have a coach, actually. It was Roy McGregor who contacted me directly. They just sacked um, the previous manager, Derek Adams. And um, there was no manager. And he called. I remember it was me, Michael Gardine, and Darren Barr because we'd all been at Kilmarnock the season uh-huh. before. And Midge was on the out at Dundee United. Um, and uh, I think I think Darren just left Hearts. Maybe he left, he'd been on loan from Hearts or something. I can't remember. But the three of us all signed on next, basically the same day, um, which was nice of all because it was two teammates I'd worked with before. Um, but yeah, they were obviously in a in a proper scrap up there with the sit start that I did the season. But um, yeah, again working with Jim and Billy Dodds that season was was uh, probably the best thing that could happen. Yeah. First season was decent, but you formed quite a good team there, didn't you? You got you got going in yeah. towards the end, got away from relegation, no bother, and went on to have a few good seasons, didn't they? Yeah, it was the back end of that first year. I think we had about honestly, I think we had about eleven points in February. Like we were nowhere near it, and then we just clicked into like we found we started playing with increment formations and players, and we brought a few in in January and. And then it was around that, it was around, I think we won on Valentine's Day, we beat Motherwell at home. And then I think we won 11, like 10 games straight or something, like, and we ended up finishing eighth or ninth, you know, like well clear of the of the bottom. Like we had an unbelievable run in at the end of that season. Um, and then we kicked on the following year and top six finish, and a, you know, and uh, and a cup win. So yeah, it was, we just, we just found that those ingredients of a bit of really close knit group, good group of players. And we found a system that worked for us. I think you think you beat Celtic two 0 up and three uh, two up in Dingwall after being two 0 down. If I remember right, it might have been a different season. But what what was it about that Ross County team? Because the next season, as you say, you kicked on. Did you feel like a first team player then? At then when that got to the end of that season, you think right, that's me. I'm a first team player. I need to be playing all the time now. Definitely at the end of that first year, and then it was like obviously I went I went back to Celtic again. For that, yeah. for another for another preseason, and um, and then actually, I did play a couple of preseason games. I played over in Helsinki against Spurs. I think we got humped six one, and uh, you know a couple other games um, like like that. But uh, it was just kind of again waiting for Ross County had made it clear they wanted to take me on a permanent, and it was just like all that crap going on in the background, and um. You know, even the fact that they, even though it was just training compensation, but they paid a fee for me and this kind of thing. You go into you go into a club then. I played the full season there before, you know, even though I was only 21, 22, you do feel like, you know, I'm a senior player now, like I'm a kind of cemented part of the team. And that was season, you had a great season and I wouldn't say revenge, but you managed to play against Celtic mm. and put them out of the League Cup semi-final. What was it like that day? Because coming up against Roy Dyler, the guy that let you go, did you feel like, I've got something to prove here. Or was it just about doing your job for the team? Well, it was quite funny, actually. We um, we played... Uh, so I signed for Ross County on the Tuesday before the first game of the season. And the, the first game of the season was flagged at Celtic Park on the Saturday. So <laughs> I literally left Celtic on the Monday, went up to Ross County, signed on the Tuesday, and then I started at Celtic Park against Celtic on the opening day of the season on the Saturday. And I was I was like a man possessed. I was <laughs> like absolutely running around like a madman that day. Like it was, um, I actually had a, had a decent game. And um, and then yeah, obviously the semi final was obviously we got a stroke of fortune with the red card early doors, but um, we kind of won that game. A little scare at the end. I think we gave away. I think we had a penalty 
think Lee Griffiths missed a pen like in the around the 80th minute or something, but we we ended up winning that game quite you know quite comfortably and it was a yeah unbelievable experience. Like obviously beating yourself like at Hamden, however the circumstances, it's a, a special memory. That was a a good team. You were a steady team then. You were doing quite well in the league at the time. Did you did you believe you could beat Celtic that day because? Celtic weren't the best under Ronnie Dylan. There was there was cracks after the start of the season with the Champions League qualifiers, and Celtic never seemed to get going that season. Did you did you just believe no. you had a chance? Yeah, and then obviously Scott Brown was out. I think he came on, but he'd been injured, and you know they were like having him missing, and with the kind of way that, as you say, the, the kind of form they were in was like not the most convincing. It's probably as good an opportunity as you're ever going to get in terms of if you produce the performance. And you know, obviously, it doesn't matter. Whenever you play Celtic or Rangers, you need a bit. Of, you need the luck on your side that day as well. Um, but yeah, it was all kind of there for us that day. We 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 played really well, but um, of course the because we I think we lost the goal after two minutes, so we're already one 0 down. But then we actually, but even before the red card, we had a couple of good moments. And yeah, it was probably as good a chance as you were ever going to get. Yes, Celtic really struggled at that time at Hamden. I remember a few under Lennon we were, were playing sailing and then something would go wrong and there was sendings off and then that one, Effie Ambrose gets sent off after Celtic are cruising and we just didn't seem to recover from that. So that was you onto the League Cup final. That You've obviously seen at Celtic trophies come along with that, but did it feel like a different satisfaction getting there with a team like Ross County where you were part of it for the whole time? Oh yeah, like the whole run up to the final was like unbelievable. We actually beat Inverness at Inverness in the quarter, which is obviously like a derby in its own way. And we had a terrible record at um, the Cali Stadium, and we went and won there in the quarter final, and then Celtic in the semi. So you've beaten your rivals and best team in the country on your way, and then you get the kind of cherry on top of a. And it's funny; it was actually probably more. We were. I don't know, it was more intense going into the Hibs game because like the Celtic game is just a free hit almost. Yeah. Like obviously you want to win the game and you go in, like you do all your work and you do all this, but really you know everyone knows on the day you, everything's got to go your way. Um, but the final, it was like, especially Hibs were in the championship at the time, although they had a very strong team. Oh, it was team, like, oh my man. god, we, we yeah, you really good team, but you know, we were fourth, I think. We were fourth in the premiership. Um, we were in the quarter final of the Scottish. We were like, bloody hell, we're probably the the favourites here and like in some ways you know what I mean like whereas we have as much maybe we have history against us but on paper we had you know just as much of a chance to win that game Normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner and our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all the father figures out there are looking daddy material this June. Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0, is the perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here is no dad joke. Treat him and yourself and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIMS at manscaped.com. Trust me, his select dad bod will thank you. But wait, there's more. Manscaped just launched their brand new Boxers 2.0 that are, dare I say, the best boxers ever. These new boxers are packed with revolutionary features including the jewel pouch, designed to cradle his boys in their own special space. This right here is a game changer. Dads, buy this for yourself. Sons, buy this for you and your select dad. Ladies, buy this for your man. Come get a ball sack trimmer from your podcast mates. Get 20% off with free shipping with the code TIMS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIMS. Shake what your mama gave you. Nah, shake what your daddy gave you. Manscaped. That Hibs midfield that day was absolutely yeah. sensational. They had, yeah. they had a really good team at that season. They did. They were trying to get promotion as well under Alan Stubbs and go on to win the Scottish Cup as well so there were no marks yeah. but that's certainly oh, God, Jackson Irvin get man of the match didn't he? Oof, yeah again <laughs> a, a man a man possessed I basically it was basically a bloody man marking job and I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm the first player to ever get man of the match for not doing anything with the ball and just stopping their best player <laughs> doing, <laughs> doing anything on the day um, That was John again was yeah, it? It was yeah um, we basically matched them up in midfield like they played the diamond and you know they had uh, I think it was Liam Henderson, John and Scott Allen. Scott, um, I can't, I can't. Dylan McGee, hundred percent sure. Yeah, it was maybe Dylan or um, might have been Kevin Thompson. You know. Oh, yeah. Um. Anyways, but we basically got given like this the bottom of this diamond against our three. It was just like man v man, like just kind of jewels all over the pitch and. Um, yeah, listen, it was a everything again went for us that day. We scoring scoring late. We played we played well, especially in the first half, and um, yeah, winning the cup with with a club like Ross County, and again with the run that we had and the teams we beat, pretty special. And you know, remains the only kind of major trophy in the club's history. Yes, always great to get a trophy up there, isn't it? See, when it gets towards the end of that season, are you sort of thinking in your head? Maybe I move somewhere, go go to a higher level than Ross County. Yeah, it's definitely in the back of your mind. Um, 
especially with the players that I was working with at the time, you know, Martin Woods and Paul Quinn, guys that played Premier League Championship in England. Um, you know, me and particularly Liam Boyce were kind of the younger guys that were kind of at that time, there was talk of us being the ones that would move on. Um, and they were great, you know, like really when I needed advice and, you know, they, they wanted to see us progress as well. And they were great, you know, friends as much as they were like, helpful for us as players as well um but they were they were brilliant with us during that time you get the move to Burton and you already mentioned Clough as the manager like you went to Burton then you went to Hull and you went from Clough to Leonard Slutsky what are these two guys like to work under it's pure chalk and cheese but it must have just been chaos under these two guys as well I tell you I've played with some I've worked on some characters like and then I had Nigel Adkins coming after Slutsky as well and like in their own right, just like obviously, I'd really, I'm really good managerial careers, but as different as you could ever imagine. Like, <laughs> um, as I say, Clough very much cut from that saying. Um, Clough as his, as his father, Mark McNeil, Neil Lennon, these these managers who, um, you know, coach in the same way. And um, he was, as I say, he was brilliant for me. I played a full year in the championship. He brought me down there, like, um. You know, again, to a club with very small, low expectations that we massively exceeded and then go on to Hull to work with, you know, a guy who's managed at the World Cup, Champions League, won trophies in Russia um, and is arguably one of the most sensational characters you'll ever come <laughs> across on the, on, the de- on the day-to-day. He's just most bubbly, like, funny guy. Ah, honestly, I had such... I really enjoyed his... I felt... I was like, genuinely gutted when he got sacked and... We were we weren't playing well at the time, and we were missing some some ingredients. But with the players we had, we should never have had that that season. But um, uh, yeah, he was just every day was a there was a new story. He was in something else to, as a character. He was, I'm sure, if anyone a quick YouTube of Leonard Slutsky will give you plenty to plenty to see. Uh, he, he was box office man, but it was just sort of mm-hmm. how had come down that season, hadn't they? So did you yeah. sort of think maybe I can get a a move to a team that's maybe on the way back up. But that championship is really difficult, especially for the teams that come down. And yeah, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And, you know, at that time when I left, when I had the, obviously went to Burton, done well. And then for me, the next step was to go and be in a competitive championship team and try and play in the Premier League. That was a dream. Um, and the opportunity came to go to Hull, who had kind of bounced up and down twice um, at that time. Top manager, you know, unbelievably strong squad Michael Dawson's Abel Hernandez is you know Sebastian Larson like good players man um, unbelievable players we had young guys on loan like Fakai tomorrow who's now AC Milan and you know working with David Marshall and Alan McGregor like international goalkeepers like we had, our squad was stacked um, but we just couldn't we just couldn't get it right um, the balance just was missing between the motivation of the older players who maybe didn't have the same Bite to get back there and younger guys who were who maybe they were looking at like you know they've got guys in that team you know I look it's funny I look now and I think they were probably looking at me coming from Burton and Albion thinking and they're probably thinking fucking hell is this where we're at now <laughs> signing guys signing you know signing this this kid from from Burton you know and I'm going in thinking what a chance for me to go and you know get to the top so it's uh yeah it just never quite clicked for us especially that first year but um we, we had good moments as well uh, was it just all out attack from Slutsky? Is that just was it just chaos? Carnage, mate. Because you Absolutely. scored loads it of goals. Was, 
every game. We, I think we drew one game 5-5 that year. <laughs> we won. I think we won two games 5 or 6-0 and lost two games 5 or 6-0. Like, it was just, every week was just mayhem. You just didn't know what you were going to get. We looked, I'd say, I didn't even mention Camille Grzycki, Jared Bowen, Fraser Campbell. Like, we'd, honestly, it was like every game could have been 5-5 and it wouldn't have, you wouldn't have, you know, batted an eyelid. It was all like chaos football. And we, I think we were the top scorers or like, no, sorry. We were the third top scorers in the championship and we finished 18th. <laughs> so wrap your head around that. Like, yeah, I think, I think we did. I think we must have been like up at the top of for both. How did you find the championship? You played there for a number of years and compared to the, yeah. the top league in Scotland, is it a better standard? All in, yeah, it is a better standard. Um, obviously, you know, the top end of the SPL is probably creeps at that bottom Premier League top championship kind of kind of tier of clubs. It's, it's difficult to compare, but all, all in all, from on an individual level, I would say it is probably slightly better. Um, the big difference, as I'm sure most guys will say, is, is the X Factor players, the yeah, like the real the the real quality at the top end of the pitch that just are just so ruthless. Um, but yeah, but you know, in Scotland, throughout every team, throughout the spine of these teams, there are guys that are capable of playing at that level, like for sure. Um, at the end of the day, as I say, I think the real difference is the boys at the top end, those X Factor guys that can win and win, win your game kind of with just pure quality. So then that was you left Hull at the end of the season, had a wee break. Was it an injury then? And before you signed for Hibs? No, not an injury. I was so COVID was the you know a bit. Listen, it was a, it was a, it's a it's a bit of a tale in itself. But uh, some it was a combination of bad timing, bad advice, and bad luck. Um, you know, I did three years at Hull. I had an option year, which I was keen to stay. I was vice captain of the club, hundred and twenty games, something like that, over three years. Main you know main part of the team, and I was keen to stay and. Um, you know, continue being a part of that club during COVID decided to go down a bit different path on a purely business decision. Myself and a lot of other boys got basically told that we weren't going to get our contracts renewed um, or offered anything new either. So, uh, you know, the, the chance was there for me to move on. And as I say, a free agent during COVID probably, you know, I went into that as a 26, 27 year old, 26, I can't remember, 26, 27. You know, I'm an international player at this point. I played at a World Cup the year before for Australia. You know, I thought I'd have options coming out my years as a free agent. Um, but, you know, the, there was just nothing, you know, the, during that time. And football's probably found itself in a different place since then. Um, and as I say, probably through some bad advice with the people I was working with at the time, um, I held off thinking that that kind of perfect opportunity would come rather than... Um, you know, kind of going for, for you know, a, an option where maybe it didn't have all the ingredients that I, that I was looking for at that point in my career. But, you know, I was so fortunate that, that that opportunity came from Hibs, which, you know, I was not expecting the team who was, you know, obviously having a fantastic season, third, fourth, and I think fourth at the time in the Premier League in both cups. And, you know, when I got that phone call and the chance to go and be a part of the, you know, even just for a few months and, uh, it was, you know, the perfect thing for me. I know the league, I knew the players and, um, you know, it was a chance for me to build back into the game after nearly 10 months without, you know, without football. What did you do in those 10 months? Were you just training yourself? Yeah, in a park on my own, like literally, it's, it's like a bad dream. It's like a bad dream. I was speaking to my girlfriend about this the other day. 
and like you know obviously the position i'm in now like you know kind of 18 months later where, where i'm at in my club career and internationally at that time i genuinely thought i didn't know i didn't know where i was i didn't know if i was going to have a career at that time I'm, i was in a bloody parking hole run you know with a fucking labrador chasing me <laughs> picking kicking my kicking my cones away when i'm trying to do drills on my own you know like this is that was where i was at for six seven months and um yeah as i say it's a it's, it's a funny old game you can go from up here to down there and next to no time through all those factors i just said bad timing bad advice bad luck yeah it seems like it's a it's a obviously a great career but it can be very hard like that as you said international peak of your career left a championship mm. club you think there'd be plenty of offers but you did make it hibs how difficult was it at that time playing with no crowds and having like, all the restrictions where you were in Edinburgh or you, but you couldn't go out, you couldn't socialise with people, you were just basically training and even training must have been different from the way you're used to as well. Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. Like, you know, we were in, I think there's a Hibs training ground, there's kind of four changing rooms and there was maybe six players in each dressing room. So you're not even getting that like, you know, you go into a new club, you want to get amongst the boys, that kind of camaraderie. It's difficult to even get amongst that because of the way that the, you know, the restrictions are laid out. Um, yeah, as you say, living in, I've never lived in Edinburgh, obviously I've been in Glasgow a long time and I was keen to get amongst it. Couldn't, you know, nothing, nothing much it could do. And um, yeah, and then of course the big one was just no crowds, which is just, you know, especially when it comes to the big games, you know, obviously we played in a semi-final and a cup final that season without crowds. It's, um, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't feel doesn't feel the same. That energy's missing. That that little um, edge that these that gives these fixtures wasn't there. So it was a bizarre time. It was. It really was. It wasn't. I just see think I've sort of blocked out my mind because of the season Celtic had last year. But mm-hmm. there's even games that I can't remember at all. And you played against yeah. Celtic a couple of times. You played against Rangers. How difficult is it when you're playing against these big teams and there's just nobody there? There's nothing to feed off. Do you just need to get that hunger for yourself? Yeah, you've just got to drive it yourself. That's what it's all about. Like you need to find that, um, you know, through players, senior players, experienced players, manager. You've got to bring that energy yourselves. And um, you know, I think we could see through, you know, a lot of the performances from from those top teams that there was at times there's that 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 it's difficult to get manufacture that feeling if you, if it's not happening naturally um so yeah but but for us it's it's hard to say whether it's a positive uh positive or a negative effect on the game you know what i mean because i know particularly when you go somewhere like parkhead or ibrox and when you're under the under under the pump and the crowd's up it's it's like it's like the world's on top of you you know what i mean so when when you haven't got that and you and you can kind of feel your way into a game it's probably easier in ways but then also when you play them at home and you and you you want that for yourself that kind yeah. of edge to to give you that little bit to to go and try and get something it's lacking too so it's difficult to say whether it's if, whether it helped or didn't especially in those bigger games. Do you think that's the case for the Hibs played against St Johnston in the cup final? St Johnston mm. won both cups that year, but Jink Hibs would have had a bigger crowd at Hamden on those days. Jink the crowd could have just pushed you on because a lot was made. Neil Lennon used to talk about it we're really missing the crowd and a lot of fans didn't really want to hear that because they've got better players, but do you think it does have an effect? It has an effect for sure, but at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, it's hard to say. St. Johnson were just, honestly, a a massive bogey team for us that season. Like, Mm. they beat us in the the semi-final and the other of the League Cup. 
the, um, I think they beat us or we drew. I think we got beat or drew both games in the league. I think we lost one, drew one in the league, and then got beat in the in the final as well. Like they just had our number that year. Like we didn't we. It's difficult sometimes to to say. Obviously, we were like we look at the performances and we were poor and we could have been better and the crowd could have helped. But um, I don't know. It just sometimes it was just everything. Like it just feels like this team has just got us here, and it was a bit and it was a bit like that in those in in those games. Even when we were pushing at our hardest, it just I don't know. It felt like they just had had, had answers for everything. The, the, the way the way the way that we played. Right, Jackson, that's plenty of last season. COVID, Celtic were terrible, all that nonsense. <laughs> Signing for the good guys. How did the move to St. Pauli come about? Was there an option to stay at Hibs? Or? Yeah, there was an option to stay at Hibs. Um, and, you know, it was a, a very difficult one to turn down. I, I, I honestly loved my time there. The a good relationship with the manager, the players. Obviously, we had finished third, cup final, semi-final. Obviously, we wanted to do better in those games but all in all it was a successful season for the club um, although I'm sure the fans will disagree obviously mm. with the way that the way that it, when you finish on the last game of the season it's a cup final loss it's if everything feels like a, you've finished on a negative I guess but um, the option was there but for me I think after the what I'd been through the year before or the six months before that and the situation I was in with my partner and where I was in my life at that time, the opportunity to go and have a big change was what, what I wanted and what I needed. Um, and when this opportunity came, it was, a uh, you know, I had some conversations with some, you know, other options that were potentially outside the UK as well. But when, uh, when this one came, obviously with the history and the links and, you know, who I am as a person and you know, the conversation, it, it, it took a very brief conversation with the sporting director and coach here to convince me that this was like just the, exactly what I wanted and what I needed for, in my life and in my career. Did the values of the club, was that something you considered when considering when they go to them? Because St. Paul are seen as one of these good teams, they've got good values. Is that something you took into consideration? Yeah, like definitely part of the conversation. Like obviously you get ultimately the football is going to be the deciding factor because that's yeah. what you're here to do. But when you look at the big picture of what else comes with that and the city, the the culture of the club, the fans, um, like all those ingredients are just like, couldn't have aligned more with my kind of personality and, and the way I see the world and football. And um, as I say, ultimately it was probably one of the, the defining factors in what brought me here. What's harder, learning German or learning Scottish when you first came over? <laughs> uh, Scottish family, so fortunately yeah, that, that 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 bit came easy. But when I speak to um, when I speak to the guys here, they we have um, whenever I, I, I like if I get a voice note or something from my mates in like our Glasgow group chat, sometimes I'll just play it for the guys. Like <laughs> they they honestly think it's like Norwegian or something like that. They're like that. It's not that cannot be English. Like cannot be. So uh, the German, uh, German just creeps in. And my pal is Australian and she asked me to send her a voice note of me saying burglar alarm because Scottish people pure struggle with that. I was like, oh, cheers for that. The St. Pauli is a really good move. The German, they're in the second tier, but how's the standard of football there? Because there's like Werder Bremen, Schalke, Hamburg, there's some huge teams down there. Like if any, there's the biggest eye opener in my career has been leaving the UK and you know I'm in the best way possible in the, not in the most not in the best way possible I think Britain Scotland and England we are trapped in a football bubble in ways and we really 
I don't know. Like, it's great. I love it. Like, I'm the most, I watch all the Scottish teams in the play in Europe and I'll still watch a championship. And, you know, I absolutely love those leagues and I follow them closely. But coming here and being a part of football here and culture of football in this country and the standard and size of the clubs in this league has been, yeah, it's been such an eye-opener and kind of a, yeah, it's been totally changed my concept of 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 the way I see football. And, you know, as you say, the, what the clubs you're talking about here and being in the second league here is, well, first of all, madness in Germany. Probably no one can believe that you've got these clubs all in this league. But even, you know, us away from those teams, the support bases and the standard of football here is like, it's, yeah, it's exceptional. And um, I've, I've loved every minute of it. What are the what are the big differences you're talking about there? Like, well, to be honest, one the kind of structure of the games is totally different. Like, the games are so much more controlled. Um, sometimes in championship in Scotland, it feels like the game is just a toss of a coin, and it's going to be either a moment of quality or a mistake or a set piece that that decides it. I feel like more often than not, the games here are far more structured, and the team that actually gets the game right on the day tends to win more often than not rather than in Scotland it feels like you could play brilliant and get beat 2-0 or yeah, more tactical you know or play yeah it's it's, it's it, the football is definitely more yeah more controlled more structured more tactical um one thing I will say is the lack of midweek games means physically I'm putting in I'm running more and putting in higher numbers than I ever have done in my career which I think is a huge factor as well um, the recovery time you have between games is a massive thing. It's um, probably something I never really thought of or considered before because I'm used to playing 50 game seasons everywhere I've been and traveling for international and doing these things. But being here and seeing the kind of physical level I can play at when you don't play on a Tuesday or, um, you know, it's 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 yeah, it's really surprised me. And I'm not sure if that is just the structure of the game or due to the the way the league is is laid out, you know, even having the winter break. Um, but that, yeah, those little differences is, have definitely surprised me. So it's, it's a better, better all-round culture player-wise because you do get those breaks. It's not just constant football all the time. But what about fan-wise? How different is it then? Well, all, all I can compare it to is obviously the St. Pauli fans, and they're they're it's the most unique place you can ever imagine. Like, um, you know, it's been well documented now. Like I, I don't drive here. I, I take the bus or the train to train. And then, you know, I live in St. Paul. I, I walk to the stadium for on a match day. And like, it's just stuff that you would never consider to be possible in the UK just because of the fan culture around the highs and lows of the way they treat players. Um, you know, when you're playing well and the team's doing well, you're on this pedestal of like worship almost. And when the team is poor and you're not playing well, it's, it's a level of abuse that's like, you know, should not be tolerated. Um, but it's, listen, that's football. And, and you know, we all accept what comes with that. But for, for, for me here, the the culture around the club and the way that they, the attitude to us there, they appreciate that you want to be a part of the community, that you, that you bring attitude and positivity. Of course, they want to see the team play well and perform and win games. But more than anything, it's like, the conversations I have with people here, it's like you've embraced the values of the club. You, you know, you're, you've become a part of the community, and you know, and then your contributions on the football pitch have been, you know, we see maximal effort, and that you fight, and that you want to, you know, do the right things, and um, you know, from, from uh, the attitude to to that has just been, it's just shocked me that I didn't. It's kind of something I didn't think was kind of possible in modern football. 
What about the ter- in terms of the difference between British football and St. Pauli in terms of the structure of the club with tactics, training, sports science? Do you think they're ahead? Germany's ahead of Britain in that case? Um, I wouldn't say there's a massive difference, to be honest. Um, mm. I will say, obviously, obviously, because of the lack of games, we definitely train more and train harder here, um, which definitely helps on the tactical side of things because it gives you way more time to work on things and, and prepare. When you're playing on Saturday and you're playing on a Tuesday, you're going to have a Sunday off and a Monday is going to be a light session to recover. You're not going to be working on you know, game plan. You know, it's difficult sometimes to even have the time to do any of, of these things. So um, for us, it's definitely been that's been a, a, a big part of it. But I wouldn't say it's miles ahead or or miles different in terms of the day-to-day structure of training, sports science and these things. I would say um, the general attitude to training here is because we train more is different. And it's, um, you know, I think in, in the UK, training is a bit of a chore uh, at times. You know, we just, we get caught in this cycle of just games, games, games. And all you want to do is just play games. You don't want to, you know, sit in a in a meeting room for an hour watching clips and, you know, it's it's that's that's the culture you want. You want to come in, play, and have a Sunday off. That's that's what you know. When I think about football in the UK, that's kind of been the way. And here, you know, less days off, more training. But you, it's amazing the cycle you get into and how quickly you adapt to that kind of different attitude. It seems to be working for you. Point behind in the league, eight games to go, gunning for that title. Mate, five five out of eight at home. We've oh. still got to play. I think we've got to play four of the top six, uh, and. Three of four or three of them are at home. Um, big trip to Schalke on the second last day as well with full stadiums back. So listen, couldn't be more exciting. Like it's just unbelievable to be in this point at this point of the season. Probably wouldn't have dreamed of it six months ago. So fully embracing it. Yeah. Is that the aim? Obviously, you want to win the league, but would playing in the top flight in Germany be something you'd really want to do? I think if, to, to be honest, mate, it'd be the pinnacle of your career, like to play in a, to have the opportunity to play in a top five league. Um, you know, I've not had the opportunity to play European football in terms of Europa League or Champions League. You know, I've, I've you know I've played it at a good standard my career, but the chance to to play at a top and in a top five league, nonetheless, not rather than just a top division, would be you know, um, yeah, it would be um, unbelievable. And for us as a club to do it, you know, with um, I think it was 10, 11 years since the last time Sampaoli had a, had a promotion season and um, you know if we could do it it would be a monumental achievement from the club and for us as players What's the big derby like against Hamburg? Class like <laughs> so good um, yeah like um, again it's it's when it, it's, it's like any derby when it's bigger than football it means more to people than 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 just a game and you know, obviously, the political divides in the city that the clubs represent is is is, is, is not maybe not quite as strong as in Glasgow, <laughs> but it definitely exists, and um, yeah, that definitely gives it that extra spice. Do you see yourself long term at Simpali? I I don't see myself going anywhere anytime soon. You know, it would it would take something outrageous to to get me out of here. And at twenty nine, I don't know if that opportunity is <laughs> going to be coming my way anytime soon. So, um, yeah, I've definitely found a home for myself here, and. Um, you know, if we can, you know, achieve that ultimate goal against the Bundesliga, that would be unbelievable. But even so, I'm I'm more than happy in this city and in this club. Yeah, sounds like a class place to live, mate. Right, that's mm-hmm. the the club football done. On to the international stuff, and we'll get a wee chat about the man of the hour, Ange Postecoglou, as well. <laughs> playing for Australia, like you mentioned, maybe playing in the top league in Germany would be the pinnacle. But is playing for Australia the biggest honour you can have as a player? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, obviously your domestic career is, is the, the international, sorry, career is a reward for your domestic career. Um, and fortunately, you know, I've had the opportunity to represent my country at, you know, three major tournaments and, um, you know, over a, a career that spanned a number of years and, you know, I'm hoping that it will go on for a few more and, you know, to have played in the, at that level against the, the teams I've competed against is just unbelievable honour and, you know, it will be some of your fondest memories of your career, that's for sure. Yeah, you got your first cap under when you were at Ross County. That, that's some going getting a cap for there, but you spoke about Ange Postacoglu before, but how different is this guy compared to the other managers you've had? Because you've worked under really good managers, but they don't, they've all got different things about them. How different is he? Yeah, um, he's, as they all are in their own way, but he's very unique. Um, the atmosphere and the environment that he created in those, and f- from my understanding, it's totally different to what it's like on the day to day at Celtic, and that's and in and the way he is at club football. Because I had other boys that worked with him in the Australian league on the day to day, and um, international football, especially when you when you play for Australia with the travel and the way that it works for us. It's always you have such limited preparation to go into these games, and the way that the way that Ange managed to get a philosophy of football style and mentality and attitude and culture into that team in 72 hours like in the build up to a game was in hindsight now it's like it's unbelievable it was unbelievable um we you know we he never worked individually it was never about players like Jackson playing here or him playing there it was about the system the structure and you know and being able to play a role within that when you were when you when you were playing and um you know he, he ultimately was the one that gave me my international career, you know, the chance to, you know, I had that one kind of scattered cap back in 2013 or whatever it was. And, you know, it was an underage that I became a regular part of the squad. And you know, this was a midfield that had Mila Yedinak and Aaron Moyer in the Premier League and Tom Rogic, Massimo Luongo is at QPR. And, you know, like we had hugely experienced guys in that area of the pitch. And, you know, he kind of brought me in alongside them and gave me, you know, I played, you know, quite a lot of minutes, probably more than I expected to in that in those years. And um, yeah, no massive respect for him as a coach and as a person. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading his book now, and he, he's talked a lot about the, the Australian side when he is the manager. And you're just that this guy's a genius, man. He just he's on another level. His way of thinking. He managed to win the Asian Cup for Australia, and then go into the Confederations Cup. And you were a big part of that squad. I mean, how much? How much went into that? Because as you've we've seen in the games, like Chile, Germany and Cameroon, it's a tough, tough ask in Australia going in there, but he's went toe-to-toe with them in every game, didn't you? Uh, that, yeah, like, I remember, like, I was on the bench against Germany in the first game, and I remember that first 15 minutes, like, because of, like, his attitude, as all Celtic fans have seen now, is front foot, aggressive, positive, everything, all your actions and everything you do, against whoever and that is just the way he sees football and you know and we all and we all every team he has as you can see he builds that culture that every player buys into it because they you know the way he can turn it that quickly it's unbelievable sorry to jump in how does he get you buy in so much because it seems all the players are all in how does he get create that 
it's it's like he's obviously you know I talk about motivation through those other um factors that there's different managers have whether it's kind of like that element of like fear and aggression or his comes more from a place of like passion and um inspiration i guess in ways like he used to be able to just be able to just there's a i think ryan mcgowan told uh another again just thinking about stories that i remember boys telling like he would always give his pre-match speech before the pre-match meal he would never do it right before the game and it's like honestly you'd come out of this meeting and you would just want to go and fucking head of your bowl of spaghetti like <laughs> he would have you honestly he would have you wired like and this is three hours before the game and it's like to be honest, it's it's probably a good thing because if he did that right before the game, boys would go out and someone would get a red card within five minutes because do an effy, you know? Yeah, exactly. He just used to come. You just he just used to be able to just harness this like energy within you, and then yeah, I could just unleash it. Um, but yeah, that Confederations Cup was unbelievable, and obviously that Chile game, probably the most probably the most fun of and most enjoyable game I've ever had of football playing against the way they played the champions of South America. They'd won back to back Copa Americas. And we absolutely, we just, it was just, again, it was like a game, it was like watching, you know, kind of how Leeds play now in that just open man for man style all over the park. It was unbelievable. Oh, it must have been two managers going up against it, two teams that pressing, pressing, pressing. You, you started, you came on as a sub against Cameroon, then yeah. you started against mm-hmm. Chile, up against mm-hmm. Vidal, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like crazy. Again, these are like the kind of moments. It was probably the first time I'd come up against like a, like a world-class player. Like, I think, like, especially in, in that kind of situation, like I played against top players in moments in my career and teams as well. But I think that was probably the first time I was like playing against somebody. I was like, this is like a, yeah, as I say, this is a world-class, world-class player. And um, yeah, that experience of being, and he's, he's a, how aggressive he is and how um, the competitive nature of his game as well. It was yeah, it was some fight. It was, uh, it was as I say, it was probably the most enjoyable game of football I've ever played. That's class, man. That what formation did you just play in that turn? Was it three four two one? Yeah, it was like a back three with wing backs. So yeah, and then a box midfield. So two sixes, two tens, and a striker. So it was yeah, three four two one. Exactly, kind of what you said there. Yeah. Was it was it that class to play in? Because that's quite a fluid formation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was madness. Like, and we played. We used to play with wingers as the wing backs as well. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean. Like, we'd play like absolutely no defensive mindset whatsoever. It was the first couple of times we played it. Obviously, it was a bit. It's a bit of a shock to the system. Um, but then once you get once you get to grips with it, and you know, he, you know that system was designed for us to compete against the best teams. You know, and sometimes it actually worked better against the better opposition, if yeah. that makes sense. Did you come on, you'd come on for Tom Rogic a lot for Australia, but did you play in the, mm. one of the two sixes or one of the two tens in the Chile game? Uh, in the Chile game, I played as one of the sixes, actually. Oh, but, defensive um, duties as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, God. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. It was, um, I played. As a, I actually don't think I played as a six within that system before that game. I'd only played as a ten, and then it was like we went into that last game, and he just checked. Like as I say, uh, Moy and Rogic were probably our two kind of mainstay midfielders, if not players in general. And he took them both out and played me and uh, and one of the other lads kind of in this game. And um, 
yeah, it was just it was madness. We probably none of us were expecting it, and it was a uh, yeah. Uh, it was actually that game I signed for Hull. Um, that Confederations Cup was obviously in Russia, and uh, Slutsky had been obviously following it closely oh, as, as as a former Russian national team manager. And you know, we had a lot of I, when I spoke with him, he you know spoke a lot about that tournament before I signed for Hull, which was you know a few weeks later. You touted Ange for a, a big job. Did you ever expect the Celtic job would come up for him? <laughs> Never in a million years. It's so <laughs> funny. Like people think there was some like some background knowledge or insights. That's pure coincidence. Um, I'd always, you know, I think a lot of us had said when we worked with him that I'd love, we'd love to see him or work with him on the day to day or see him manage in Europe. And you know, as more than anything, just as a fellow Australian, Australian football fan, Australian football person, you just want to see our, um, you know, the people in in our game be successful. And um, you know, he's definitely shown probably a different side to to what people think about football in that part in our part of the world. When you when you said that it doesn't matter who he comes up against, he'll, he'll still play the same way and it may be better against the bigger teams. Celtic conceded a lot of goals in Europe this year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always, oh, Angel, stick to this system, but he played three at the back then. He's playing four, three, three, and now he can adapt. But do you agree that he should just go in with this and jinx Celtic will be better in Europe next season after having a full year under him? I think I think the club knows fully when they will have spoken to him and had these conversations early doors what kind of attitude he has. And um, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, I, I love it as well. And you know, to be fair, more than anything, it's a testament to how you know going into that, trying to explain to people in Australia what that Glasgow football bubble is like, or anywhere else in the world, even in England, they don't understand. Like they just and they you can't understand until you've and I played of the most minute part in that that you can ever imagine but even just existing within that world being in the city and the way that you scrutinised and everything and the way he's handled it going into that has been as good as I could ever imagine a manager going into that situation um, and he brought, and it got the fans on board straight away and a belief and an understanding and they can see the progress already and um, I think more than anything, that's what people wanted to see. They wanted to see progress and they wanted to see a plan and they wanted to see all of those ingredients coming together. And you're seeing it now. And, you know, his attitude won't change. It will, And, you know, the expectation will be that the team will just get better the more they do it. And I'm sure next season in Europe, will, um, you know, you'll, you'll probably find that they are more comfortable, especially in those moments. Yeah, I was at a Q&A the other day at Celtic Park and it was with Ange and he actually mentioned your name saying I've, I used to come and see Scottish football a lot, watched it with Tom and uh, Jackson so he, he was always keeping an eye on you. How gutted were you when he left just before the World Cup? Because you're coming up against France, Denmark and Peru. It was a tough group going in there in Russia, wasn't it? We were good. Like, absolutely good. It's, it was the the most grueling qualification campaign you could have imagined like that. Like we played the most games, traveled the most miles of any club of any, sorry, of any country in anywhere in the world for that campaign, you know, for, to qualify for the world cup. We literally did it like the longest, hardest way you could have ever done it. Um, and that last, that last trip to Hon- the Honduras home and away, we literally flew around the whole world, the European players, because we flew around the East, East side, uh, like across through Europe to America, to Honduras, played on the Thursday, and then flew Honduras around Hawaii to Australia to play on the Tuesday, and then uh, Australia back to the Middle East to Europe again to play on the Saturday for our clubs. 
So it was literally like we'd gone, we'd literally gone around the world in nine, 10 days, played two games, emotional highs of obviously qualifying for the World Cup. And then, you know, everything that came with it, um, it was just so intense. And then obviously off the back end of that, when when he kind of um, announced that he, that he was going to kind of leave us after kind of that, that being a part of that journey together. And listen, you respect the man's decision. He's, a, he's definitely a man of principle and a man of um, integrity. So, you know, I'm sure that, you know, he doesn't need to explain himself to anybody why he made why he made that decision. But from a personal point of view, the players were, were, were obviously gutted. How difficult was the World Cup then going into that? Was it just, it was still a massive honour, but it was a change of style, change of the way he's played, wasn't it? And going up against France and Denmark and that, you made, you were a sub in all the games and came on. Mm. How, yeah. how much a pinnacle was that for your career? Literally as opposite a style as you could ever imagine. We went yeah. from, as I said, playing a qualification campaign of front foot, positive, mad football, to a manager coming in six, like, six weeks before a tournament and saying block, mid-block, compact you know like literally everything we've been doing for the last five years four years was just out the window in four weeks before the world five weeks before the world cup um so listen we're adaptable players australians that's why like you know you see a boys playing in every league in the world from asia to europe to you know um everywhere you can imagine so you know we're adaptable players and that's why we're kind of able to do that but for myself as well being you know playing against the world champions against you know um, Denmark, who are you know one of the top teams in the Europe and the world as well, and obviously again the games didn't quite swing our way, but we were more than competitive, and you know if not a bit unlucky, especially in the first two games. Um, to you know, I thought we gave a really good account of ourselves, and you know obviously at that level it's quality and small margins that that are the difference, and you know, that was ultimately the reason we ne- we never made it out of the group. Yeah, it was a, it's a tough. You always get the tough groups, don't you, man? Yeah, God, some of our groups at, uh, at tournaments have just been have been madness. Um, I remember, was it 2010? We had Spain, Holland, and 2014. I think it was Spain, Holland, and Chile in the group that year. And 2010 was like Germany, Ghana, and Serbia. Like it's always, it's uh, yeah, it's always like that. That's what you want, but when you get to that stage, to yeah. go up against a big player like France you're up against Canada you, you come on for Tom Rogic a lot of the time yeah yeah all three games I think I was a straight swap for Tom for, in all three games so we went opposite <laughs> yeah, absolutely again. <laughs> no I think it's just a change in, in, in style of player it was safe to say as well <laughs> <laughs> when you subbed me and Tom off at the, for him one another you're, uh, you became quite the oracle on that open goal. You mentioned Ange Postacoglu and then you mentioned another up-and-coming player in Australia, Riley McGree. And then <laughs> he, he almost signed for Celtic as well and then know, moved to Middlesbrough in the last, the last couple of seconds. Who have I mentioned in this? Because they'll, they'll end up being one in here. Someone will be someone will be signing here. And I manifest months. somebody good for Celtic to sign next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll throw a name out by the end. Uh, last wee bit here before we finish up Jackson thanks for your time but you've got big game coming up in the next couple of weeks for Australia you're actually coming up a familiar Celtic Japan you'll be up against Maeda and Hitati you and Tom Rogic looking forward to the qualifiers yeah Yeah. listen Japan Australia is like it's the biggest game in Asia really like it's uh, it's, we've got such a strong history of games against each other they're an unbelievable side they've got some top players um, you know but for and every, you know we've got everything to play for both sides it's going to be fantastic and you know kind of 
massive stadium in Australia. We're expecting, you know, 75, 80,000 people. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, yeah. So, you know, for us as, as players, you know, myself and Tom, the experienced guys who've, who've kind of been there and played in these games now, it's, uh, you know, for us, it's a, a chance to go and you know, do something pretty special, win this game and give us a chance to go automatically. It must be, I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but mad looking at it, like in six months' time, you could be champions and playing in the Bundesliga or could be promoted up to the Bundesliga and playing at the World Cup. Is that the sort of thing that drives you on every day? Like, yeah, you see, you got to pinch yourself sometimes. It's like, you you know, as a, as a footballer, as a professional, you try and, you know, you, you do all you can to try and live out your career and have special moments and memories. And, you know, as I said, probably what I think I said from the very opening of this was that at this point right now, I'm probably in the most exciting phase of my career um, as I've ever had. And, you know, those prospects, you can't shy away from them. You can't hide from them. I think some people get, you know, one game at a time, this and that. And it's, of course you do have that mentality, but you know, big picture, sometimes you've got to step back and think, wow, this is like unbelievable, the opportunity that, that I've gotten. Listen, that might not, it might not fall your way or, you know, things don't, don't always, football's, you know, as we've seen, it's a roller coaster. It doesn't always go the, the way you expect, but just being in a position to be able to achieve those things and, um, you know, it's as exciting as, as, as you could ever be. And as you say, it's, it's why you get up every day and you've got the best job in the world to, to go and try and live out these kinds of dreams. That's brilliant, mate. I hope, I hope you get there. I'm sure you will because you'll put in the effort. You're still 29 years old, still get plenty of your career left, but you're a smart guy. You're quite a hipster guy. Definitely the most stylish guy we've ever had on the podcast. What's your plans once your uh, career comes to an end? Is it going to coaching or is it going to be opening a coffee shop somewhere or something along those lines? Mm-hmm. I would love to get involved in something more artistic and cultural, that's for sure. And I'm sure I'll, I'll have that opportunity. And It's funny, people... Um, a lot of people have kind of started like, yeah, when you get to your late 20s people start to ask those questions of you know thoughts beyond your career but you know for me I'm deep down I'm still I'm just a massive football nerd and I can't imagine football not being like a main part of my life whether it's in a coaching position or punditry position I've you know I've not really considered what in what format that will be but I can't imagine football will ever leave my life uh, you know in any big way because you know, it's, it is, you know, my ultimate passion as much as I love fashion and the arts and music and these things, it's, uh, you know, it, it all kind of still revolves back to that ball. So I'll, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where I end up in the next few years. I didn't ever think I'd be in Germany. So maybe, you know, there's something for me in Europe. Well, you've picked a class city for the music in Hamburg, haven't you? Yeah, famous, very famous city in the music world. So and I'm a stone throw from Berlin and, you know, these these kinds of places, it's, yeah, it's as I say, it's been a total eye opener. Our culture should culture change, and it's yeah. If anyone ever has a chance to get here, like it's it's well worth the trip. Yeah, I've been to Berlin. I've been to Union Berlin and Hertha Berlin games, but bucket mm-hmm. list is get to a St. Pauli game, man. That's that's on the agenda now that things are opened up no again. Right, Jackson. No Thanks very much for your time, mate. You've given us more than enough, and some of the insights you've given us in here have been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us. No, my pleasure, mate. Nice to speak to you. Hey, I hope you I hope you get there at the end of the season hope you get to Qatar as well I'll be watching the Australia-Japan game next week so I'll be I'll be cheering on you and Rogic against you and Hitati so it'll be a bit of a clash yeah. but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes thanks a lot mate yeah good man see you soon
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.